Well, I know a lot of you have your Labor Day plans. Some are even working on vacation plans for the fall and for next year. How many of you are already working on your summer plans for next next summer? Monisa and I are looking to, to vacation next summer in, in Yellowstone, one of the places we want to go. How many of you ever been to Yellowstone National Park? All right, a lot of you. Great. Now, in planning for that, you know, we had to decide, are we going to do a quick trip like a lot of people do where you go into the park for a day or two? And... Uh, we're not going to do that. We're going to stay several days. In fact, there's, we want to do a lot of hiking while we're out there. Um, and uh, so a lot of research being done now, you know, the different trails and different ways to do that and where we would stay and, and making, you know, plans for how we'll get out there and then transportation once we're there and, 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 and all of that. And, and the thing is, if we were going for, hey, we're, we're going to stay outside the park and we'll drive in for one or two days and see some of the sites versus uh, we're going to stay longer, we want to hike and see a lot of the park and a lot of the, lot of the scenery and, and try not to get attacked by a bear and all that kind of stuff. Uh, two different kinds of plans we're having to make, right? One involves a lot more research and planning than, than uh, the other. And the truth is that's how life is. You, you can't plan to get somewhere until you know where you want to go, until you understand what you want the experience to be like when you're there. You're going to stay one day, two days at Yellowstone? You're going to stay a week? Are you just going to drive in and out every day? Or are you going to stay in the park? Are you going to camp? Are you going to hike? All those things. So where you go and, 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 and what you expect your life to be like, what you want, what your dreams are out there in the future, then that shapes your planning. And the truth is you can't really plan effectively until you know where you're going and what you want it to be like when you get there. Same thing is true in the church. We have to agree as a people of faith on what Jesus has said our mission is, our purpose is, what he wants us to do, what he wants us to accomplish before we can ever figure out how we're going to get there. And that's what Vision 21 is all about. Now today, and for the next several weeks, our focus is not on the how. How are we going to do such and such? How are we going to do that? Our focus is on the what and the why. It's on what does God expect of us? What does God want from us? What does God say is our reason for being and wants us to accomplish? If you will, think of it as the, the what and the where. And, and, and we're, we're really today and in the weeks to come painting a picture, if you will. This is our destination in the future, and for us three years into the future, this is our destination, this is where we're going, and this, this is the picture, this, what, this is what it's going to look like, and this is what God wants us to, to accomplish, and, and here are the outcomes that we're after. We'll figure out how to get there. We already know some of that. We'll figure out more of it together as we go forward. But there is no point in trying to figure out the how until we come together with our hearts submitted to the Lordship of Christ and bind together as a family of faith and say this is the where and this is the why. This is the vision. This is the mission God has given us. That overrides all the hows until you know the where and the what and the why, the how, really doesn't matter. See, Jesus, during his life, always knew why he was here on earth. 
And during his 33 years, especially those three years of his public ministry culminating in his crucifixion and resurrection, he lived with passion and purpose. In John chapter 6, verse 38, and if you want to open your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. But first on the screen, John 6, 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven. And notice this. He said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father, the one who sent me. And so Jesus, during his earthly existence, modeled for us what it means to live a life submitted to the will of God, to the will of the Father. And if you want to understand how that shaped Jesus and and how and, and what his Father's will was and therefore what was the purpose of Jesus' life and, and his passion during his time on earth, it's, it's this verse that's probably the most famous from all of the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 16. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is saying not only to you and me but he was saying to his son that's your purpose. That's your mission to die so that men can live, so that women can be forgiven, so that lives can be healed. Families can be restored. Your mission, your purpose, your reason for going to earth was to die on the cross. Now, notice what motivated God the Father. Notice what motivated Jesus the Son. It was love. Love for me. Love for you. Love for everyone in this room. Love for everyone in this city. Love for everyone in this state. Love for everyone in this county. Love for everyone in this country. Love for everyone in this world. Love. God so loved the world. It's inclusive of, inclusive of, of every person. That's what motivated Jesus. That is what's to motivate us. But God the Father and Jesus the Son were also motivated by our condition, our need, our situation, our problem. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten sons. Notice this. So that whoever believes in him shall not, what's that next word now? Not what? Perish. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, physical death, eternal death, separation from God in hell. And God didn't want that. And so because he loved us, loved us, loved us, he said, I want a different destiny for you. That's why he sent his son. And that's why Jesus, as we read a moment ago, voluntarily decided to lay down his life. No one forced him to do it. He chose to do it. Jesus lived with a purpose, and that purpose was to rescue you from yourself. To rescue you from hell, to rescue you from the consequences of your choices and your sin. There was a husband and wife working together in the garden one day when they spotted a rattlesnake. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't get near rattlesnakes. They warn you stay away. And growing up in the mountains, I saw some big ones. But this guy, he's 40 years old. He's confident, so he grabs a shovel and he decapitates that rattlesnake, cuts its head off. Okay, so far, so good. But then he reaches down to pick up the rattlesnake's head. Now, some of you don't see a problem with that. 
you've not been around snakes much. Because the nerves are still working. And that rattlesnake sinks its fangs into his hand deeply and releases all the poison it had. See, when when a snake strikes, when it's alive, it's still afraid of you. And so it'll do this. It strikes and it bites, but it doesn't latch on and release all the venom. It's, it's, it does this, but when you cut off its head and it's dead, it sinks in and it stays. And all the venom gets released. And you have to pry it loose. So his wife called for an ambulance and she was taking him to the hospital two, two miles from home. He started having a seizure. Started losing his vision. Lost all his vision. They didn't know it, but he was bleeding internally. Such a heavy dose of venom. They met the ambulance, and ambulance took him so far. This is out in the country. They met a helicopter, took him to a hospital, got him there just in time because his organs were beginning to shut down. And there's so many people. Maybe you're one of them. We see people. We, we have children like this. We have brothers and sisters like this. We have friends like this, co-workers like this, and, and they think they can reach down and play with sin and play with Satan, play with the devil. And, and he's, in, in Scripture, he's called the serpent, isn't he? Both in the book of Genesis and, by the way, also in the book of Revelation, he's, he's referred to as that old serpent. And so there's so many people in our city They think they can reach down and and play with a rattlesnake. They They can play because they can master it. They can control it. They've decapitated it. It won't kill them. They can they 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 can deal with it. But sin always kills. Satan always lies and destroys and steals. You can't play with him and win. Those people need the great physician to rescue them in the nick of time. They need the great doctor to heal them of their sin and their sickness and their lostness. They, they, they need the great physician to, to rescue them from hell and, and, and take them to heaven. That's true of your sister or brother, your child or your mom or dad your co-worker and your friends and your classmates who, who, who don't know Christ. That's true of them. The wages of sin is death. They, they, they need salvation. And, and listen, it was, it was our salvation. It was their salvation and, and, and Jesus' love for us and for them that drove him in life. That shaped what he did. That, that shaped how he saw his purpose and his mission during his time on earth. Listen to what uh, Jesus said. He said in Luke 19, for the man, the son of man, a, a way he referred to himself, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was what? What? You remember Jesus telling the story about the man who had a hundred sheep? And 99 were safe, but one was lost. And the one left the 99 that was safe and went out and searched and searched and searched and worked and worked and worked until he found the one that was lost and put it on his shoulder and brought it back. 
That's God. That's, that's Jesus. That's how he, he saw himself and his mission and his, his purpose in life was to seek and to save the lost, not just to hang out with those who are already in. In Mark chapter 10, he said, For even the Son of Man, referring to himself, the Son of God, deity, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to, to give his what? What are we willing to give for the purpose of God? What are you willing to give for the mission of Christ? To give his life as a ransom for many. That, that understanding of why he was here, of the Father's will and his purpose in life, drove him to make a great sacrifice. The, the sacrifice you and I celebrated a moment ago as we held that bread and that cup, that, that, that Lord's Supper, that's what drove Jesus to do that. The last week of his life he spent uh, in Jerusalem. And there was one day when he was with the crowd out in public preaching, teaching. And I want you to listen to something he said. I don't have it on the screen because I want you to listen carefully. Listen to what Jesus said to that crowd. It was like there was this moment when it just hit him what was getting ready to happen to him. Because remember, Jesus, yeah, he's son of God, but he's also son of man. He's fully God. He's fully man. He's human and he's deity. He's both. And he said, my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, referring to his heavenly Father. Father, is, is this what I'm supposed to say? Father, save me from this hour? And then Jesus added, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. He knew why he was there in Jerusalem. He knew why in just a few days he would die and become sin for us. And his submission to the purpose of the Father, his, his, his desire to fulfill that in his own life gave him courage as he faced the cross, increased his faith as he faced the cross, gave him clarity of thought as he faced the cross so that his emotions did not overwhelm his will. What about us? What about me? What about you? What about this church? Why are we here? Why do we exist? The truth is, in Scripture, Jesus has already given us our purpose and our reason for being. Just as Jesus came to the earth to fulfill the will of the Father because of love for us and our desperate need for saving Jesus has already said, this is why you are here. We don't have to figure it out. It's clear. He's already told us in no uncertain terms. And, and, and it's, it's what we sometimes describe as the great commandment and the great commission. You put those two together and you know why every believer is, is, is here, why, why you exist. You put those two together and you understand why this church exists, the great commandment. And the great commission, the great commandment in, in Matthew 22, look at this. Jesus answering their question said, here's the two greatest commandments and all the other commandments in the Bible hang under these. If you get these two right, you'll get everything else right. Love God. 
love God. With all your heart, soul, mind, strength, with your total being. That's the greatest commandment there is. That's the first one. That's the foremost one. That's the priority one. That's where everything starts. Love God. Love God. Love God. And the second one is just like it. He says, love people. And how are you supposed to love people? Like you love yourself. Those people who are reaching down and playing with that... (laughs) rattlesnake's head and yes Jesus has defeated Satan but guess what he's still got poison and he will until he's cast at the end of time into the lake of fire and he can still kill a life he can still destroy someone love that person who's who's playing with that poison who's who's been bitten by that snake who who's picking up the 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 the, the things of the world and the things of Satan love them Love that person who talks horribly about Jesus. Love that person who doesn't know anything about Jesus. Love that person who doesn't believe in Jesus. Love them, love them, love them. How? The same way you love yourself. And so we've been saying that the reason we exist as a family of faith, as, as a church, as a people, as a disciple, is really... Love God and love people, but there's one more thing. It's not just the great commandment. It's also the great commission because in Matthew 28 and verses 19 and following, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Baptize people. Teach them everything I've taught you. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. So why do we exist to love God, love people, and make disciples? That's it. That's it. There's no other reason for a church to be open. No other reason for a church to do anything except understand and do those three things. Love God, love people, and make disciples. Now, here's the thing. You really can't do one well without doing the other two. You can't love God, Scripture says, if you don't love people. And how do you love people if you're not wanting to make disciples of those who are lost? How how can you love a lost person and, and be fine with them going to hell because of playing with the snake? See, we, we, we can't do one without the other. We're not going to make disciples if we don't love people. We're not going to make disciples if we don't love God. But here's the thing. If we love God and we love people, we're going to do the third one. Without the third one, the first two are incomplete. The first two are shallow. The first two are not properly understood. The first two are not really obeyed. Love God, love people. And make disciples. And so here's my question. Are we doing that? Some. We're doing some of that. We've seen people saved and baptized this year. Are we doing that as well as we should? And as well as we could? And are we absolutely committed to it? I've been troubled, and some of you as well have been troubled. Thinking about our baptisms, let me show you a slide. That's the last, what, seven years or so, seven, eight years? 
and you see the number of people baptized, the average per year, and what are high and what are low. Let me show you the same time period just preceding that one, the same eight-year period. Do you notice the difference? How do you feel about that? Because that says we're not doing it as well today as we did before. How do you feel about that? And what about Sunday school? We're a Sunday school church, brothers and sisters. And by the way, 80, 85% of the people who, who worship here go to Sunday school. Praise God for that. But let me show you a slide about Sunday school. Our Sunday school is divided into divisions, preschool, elementary, uh, youth, young adult, meeting adult, senior adults. I won't get into where the dividing line between meeting and senior is. Y'all can, y'all can hash that out. But notice this is the past 12 months. The preschool and young adult divisions were flat. The elementary, go back, go back, please. Go back, slide. There you go. The elementary division was up. The youth division, the median adult division, and the senior adult divisions were all down. How do we feel about that? Now let's go to the next slide. That's our adult classes, 24 adult classes. How many adult classes grew this past year? Now, most of us in here who go to Sunday school say, we love our class. We've got a great class. But only two adult classes grew last year. I would not say that indicates we're doing a great job. Would you? No matter how much we love our Sunday school class. So what would it be like? If in three years, every Sunday school class was growing. What would it be like if in three years, every single adult and youth Sunday school class saw at least one person come to faith in Jesus and be baptized in a year's time? What would that be like? You think Jesus would be pleased with that? You think we'd have a lot more excitement around here and in our own lives? It's not about the numbers. It's about the fact that those numbers say that right now maybe we're not as healthy as we think we are and we're not doing what God told us to do as well as we think we're doing it. So it's time to recommit ourselves to what our real purpose is. Do you know when the Jews were, were uh, taken away as slaves to Babylon and God through Jeremiah said it'd be for 70 years and then he would bring them back home to the promised land? Do you know how many of them finally came back home? a very small percentage because most of them got so comfortable out there in Babylon, they just stayed. It's easy for us to say, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. I like it here. Let's stay here. And we need a fresh look at reality to say, maybe there's a better place. God's place. We care about people. Last Sunday, listen, I was blessed this week. I really was. This, last Sunday, you all laid almost 400 prayer cards on this altar. This week, I had the privilege of looking through each and every one of those. And, and, and you're concerned. I mean, there's names. There's at least one name in, on every card, some more than one name. And there, there, there are people on those cards that, that they're lost. And, and, and I saw family members, husbands and wives that you're worried about and praying for, children, 
parents, brothers, sisters. I, I saw that you, you put on there the names of, of, of best friends and good friends, and you, you put on there the names of, of co-workers and, and neighbors. We care about people, but is it enough to love God and love people? What about the making disciples? What about, what about the, the praying for them and the serving them and the inviting them and the sharing with them what Jesus is doing in our lives? Vision 21 is about changing the current reality. My journey, personally, it's been a two-year journey of seeking God. Praying and studying and thinking deeply and talking with a lot of people, going on retreats to have time away to be alone with God. Thinking about our future, my future. And this past spring I was down at the beach on one of my study retreats and, and uh, I spent every evening an hour to two hours walking on the beach when it was dark. And some of the time I was praying, some of the time I was thinking, some of the time I was listening to podcasts to help me process stuff. And, 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 and it started coming together. And I started writing stuff. And I'd, I'd been talking with our deacons about some of this for several months. And uh, I took a day and I did sort of a, a brain mapping, if you will, where I just tried to jot down as fast as I could all this stuff. And then took weeks to pull it together and write it and organize it and discuss it with people, with staff, with deacons and, and uh, with others. And that's how we got here. And here's what our three priorities are going to be for the next three years as we seek to love God, love people, and make disciples. Here's our three priorities. Remember, this is not the how, this is the what. Engaging lostness. We must commit ourselves, not only as a family, but individually as disciples, to personally engaging with lost people. And I know you don't necessarily fully understand what that means. But until we stop saying lost people, well, it's their problem. They got themselves in that mess. I don't have to worry about it. Somebody else is, no, you and I, you and me, we, we, me, you, me, you must begin engaging with the lostness in this community and in our world in an active way to grow disciples. Now, do you know what a disciple is? A disciple is a follower of Jesus. We think discipleship is just about spiritual growth. No, discipleship is from someone who is lost to their becoming saved to them growing so that they then go out and make other disciples. A disciple is a follower so these all go together. It's, 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 it's helping people come to faith in Christ and then develop so that they also become soul winners for Jesus Christ. And then the other, strengthening families. Now, we all know that families are, are, are under so much pressure. And the truth is our culture doesn't always do a lot to promote family health. What happens when a family falls apart? What happens when a family disintegrates? We know about the hurt and the brokenness. 
But what about the spiritual impact? Do you know that when, when most families fall apart, most of the members of that family fall out of church? We know from, 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 from reality, from research, that, that, that when a family falls apart, the odds increase that those kids when they're teenagers and young adults will abandon the church and the faith altogether. See, strengthening families is, yes, it's about helping people have great marriages, but it's also about evangelism and helping people become fully devoted disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. And it's about us as a church helping kids to develop as followers of Christ, but it's also about us helping parents know how to do that with their kids because the church alone can't do it. We need mom and dad being our partner and doing it at home as well as us doing it here on Sundays and Wednesdays. Discipling your kids, that's going to be a commitment, Help us helping families. Now, today I'm just introducing Vision 21. It'd take me hours to walk you through all of it. Next Sunday in Sunday school, you'll have the opportunity to read the entire vision and discuss it and pray about it. It's two pages. So it's not just one sentence, it's two pages, all focused on the what and the why. And there are paragraphs in here about community engagement, about evangelism, about new churches, us supporting three new church plants in the next three years, as well as helping to relaunch one that is dying. Paragraph in here about Sunday school, about worship. And by the way, every time we've read this in a group, the last sentence in the worship paragraph, I get a big laugh, so I'm just going to read it to you. Here's the last sentence. You ready? People are excited about worship, arrive early and fill the front seats first. Yeah. You ever seen a church on fire for Jesus where the front of the church was empty? Hmm? I'm just saying. Paragraph in here on family ministry, a paragraph on preschool, elementary, and youth ministries, a paragraph on growing disciples, a, a paragraph on the pastoral staff of and, and, and there's others. You'll, you Go to Sunday school next week. That's why there's an insert in your program today telling you where all the adult classes are. Even if you never go to Sunday school, go next week so you can be part of what God is doing. By the way, community engagement, us having partners, kingdom partners, Christian ministries, and community partners that we identify, that we intentionally work with. And here's, here's, here's part of the vision. 100 of you regularly, not just occasionally, regularly of volunteering with one of these partners and 400 of us serving with one of these partners at least once a year if not more because how do we meet people who don't know christ get out in the world get out in the community there's a whole lot we're going to talk about there in on your seat did you see that piece of paper that that card that was on your chair says hashtag for Rock Hill. Go ahead and grab that right now because we're going to give you an opportunity to start plugging away, okay? Just one thing I'm going to talk about, and it's coming up later this month. So go ahead and get that, that card out. Let me find mine up here real quick. There it is. You see this card? It was in every seat. So go ahead and get that, and you have something to write with. We're, we're going to partner with our city. Now, we're going to do more than paint two houses with Rolling and Rock Hill. There's other ways we're going to engage, and you can see through prayer walking the the neighborhood and taking items from the hospitality team to people in the neighborhood. There's ways to be in, begin connecting with people, serving, making a difference both now and for eternity. And uh, you can see we've got some numbers there. Uh, the uh, prayer walking 
you can do that a couple different times. The prep team, we need about 30 people who are willing to work different times during the week to prep the houses for painting. And uh, 60 people the day we paint and then other, others. I'm going to ask you to fill this out. Now, I know some of you physically maybe can't paint, but you can pray. You can help prepare the hospitality bags. Indicate how you can help us as we just get started a little bit and bring this to the altar during the invitation and lay it on the altar as a commitment to help. And uh, if you have questions, Jamie and others on our staff can help you with that. So go ahead and fill that card out in its entirety. Bring it to the altar. Well, let me wrap this up. A few years ago, in Kansas, there was a small town hit by a tornado. Winds up to 260, 270 miles an hour. Devastated that small town. Cut a path of destruction almost a half mile wide and uh, two and a half miles long. More than 200 homes wiped out. Another 80 severely damaged. At the Dairy Queen in that little town. The Dairy Queen. I like, do y'all like Dairy Queen? Butterfinger Blizzard. Once a month. Dairy Queen was destroyed. The only thing left was the walk-in freezer. Five people huddled in that walk-in freezer praying, God, don't let us die. (laughs) There was only one person died when that town was wiped away. There was a couple in their 60s living in a house And for years, every time the tornado sirens would sound, the wife would go down to the basement and beg her husband to come with her, and he refused. He never, ever, ever went down to the basement. And this time was no different. And while she was in the basement and her house was blown away and the furnace fell over on her, actually protecting her from flying debris until at the very last moment the tornado lifted the furnace off of her and it was just her. Her husband was found several houses away in in a neighbor's yard, dead. See, you, you and I can't control whether someone will go down in the basement or not. We can't control whether someone will accept our invitation to church or give their lives to Jesus after years of praying for them and witnessing to them and loving on them. But you know what we can do? We, we, we can control whether or not we sound the siren. We, we, we can control whether or not we let them know there's a basement or there's a, there's a, there's a walk-in freezer for safety. We can control all that. And here's what I'm asking. I'm asking us to commit ourselves to doing that. Because if, listen, listen, if we don't commit ourselves to saying we exist to love God, love people, make disciples, and we're going to engage the lostness in this community, we're going to grow disciples, and we're going to, we're going, we're we're going to, to, to strengthen. If we don't commit ourselves to that, we, we won't do much, and we'll begin arguing about all the hows. 
See, some of us right now, the first thing we want to do is go to the house. I'm telling you, folks, the house don't matter if we don't get the what and the why right. And if we have the what and the why right, we'll agree a lot quicker on the hows because the hows only get in the way when they matter more than the what and the why. And I'm asking us today, get on our face before God and say, God, we understand the what and the why, and we're not worried about the other. We're just agreeing to do the Father's will. And if that takes us to the cross, bless the name of Jesus. But along the way, like Jesus saw, we're going to see some blind people begin seeing, some lame people begin walking, some hopeless people find hope, and some lost people be saved. And that will be worth it, won't it, church? So let's stand. And we're going to sing and do business with God. What does a man see? What does a woman see? What do they feel? What does he feel? What does she feel when when she closes her eyes here on earth and opens them in hell? What, What does a man feel when he spent his whole life hoping for heaven only to end up in hell? What does, a, what does a woman feel? What does she think when she expected in her deathbed that the next thing she would see is God, but instead it's actually Satan? What do they think? What does a person feel when a week passes and they're still in the lake of fire? When a month passes and they're still in the lake of fire? When a year passes and they're still in the lake of fire? When a century passes and they're still in the lake of fire? What do they feel? What do they think? What happens when a life is taken by cancer, a heart attack, suicide, an automobile accident, and they didn't know Jesus? What happens when someone grows old, a ripe old age, and they die, but they didn't have Jesus in their life? What happens when kids grow up in a home where Jesus is never mentioned? What happens when children grow up in a family that continuously falls apart and they're left disillusioned? What happens when a church turns inward and doesn't care about our city? What happens when Sunday school classes take care of each other as we should, but have no compassion for the lost and the hurting? What does Jesus see? What does Jesus think? What does Jesus feel? That's where we get our purpose. Let's pray and do business with God as we sing these couple of songs and just worship Jesus. Come. Pastors are here. Come, kneel and pray. Come and bring your commitment card. Come and commit ourselves.